0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Frank Montoya, Jr. is a retired FBI special agent and senior executive. In addition to running FBI field offices in Honolulu and Seattle in the course of his career, from February of 2012 to May of 2014, he served in the office of the Director of National Intelligence as the National Counterintelligence Executive. In that role, he was head of National Counterintelligence for the United States government. He lives now in Cache Valley. In retirement, he's been called upon by the media uh, many outlets to uh, comment on the Russian investigation and related topics and he joins us for the hour today on uh, Access Utah Frank Montoya Welcome to the program. Hi, Tom. Thank you very much. It's a privilege uh, So we definitely want to talk about the counterintelligence. I want to talk about uh, Russian influence in our elections um, I want to start with uh, your background of course the Russian investigation as well Um And uh, we have a question already uh, coming by email, and this will get us into your background. This is from Ben. He's emailed us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. You can email us as well. We'd love to get your question or comment on the Russia investigation, uh, Russian influence in our elections, anything related. Uh, We've got uh, a man uh, very near the the center of all this uh, uh, with us today. So Ben says, how did you get started in counterintelligence?
1: Great question. I was in the FBI for about 10 years and had the opportunity to go to our Washington field office. And uh, they do a lot of counterintelligence work there. So kind of got shuffled into that position wasn't quite sure what to expect. Uh, like I said, I had mostly a background in, in criminal investigations, but uh, instantly fell in love with the, the type of work. I mean, many times it was like being in, in the middle of a spy novel. Uh, the opportunity to travel, the opportunity to meet interesting kinds of people, not your typical kinds of criminals, but individuals who were trying to uh, you know, pose threats to our national security, that were trying to undermine our democracy from different places around the world. And it just... it. It just struck a chord with me it it became a a passion Uh, but it was by fate of assignment that i actually got into the business and then just took it from
0: there Hmm. ben's uh, next question is what was the most rewarding assignment you worked on
1: you know it's it's hard to enumerate there were so many of them you know in in all play in many places around the country Uh, we have 56 field offices in the fbi around uh, around the nation uh, one of my biggest and best cases happened in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, of all places. Uh, it was a, a theft of sensitive technologies case involving a former Chinese national and and his wife and other associates out of China who were stealing sensitive technologies uh, from the United States and then illegally exporting them to China. It was a great case, uh, very fascinating. In terms of the the kinds of ways that foreign adversaries will will try to undermine our national security. Uh, But, you know, I also was involved in the Hansen investigation. Robert Philip Hansen was a FBI special agent who was convicted uh, of betraying his country, uh, played a a pretty significant role in that. Uh, And and then there were others that I can't really talk about because they're Mm -hmm. classified still, but where it involved lots of foreign travel, lots of. uh, engagement with sources and methods that uh, I help I hope helped protect our
0: country mm. The, the classic, you could tell me, then you'd have to kill me. That's correct. I'm or, sorry, I couldn't or, resist. Or uh, put your head in, a, yeah, you know, cut your right. head off and put it in that's a safe. Right. There you, there you go, yeah, there you go. Uh, but, but, you know, you've been involved in that's some very right. sensitive things. Um, Ben's uh, third question, the last question, what career options are available for someone with a, military back, with a background in military intelligence who does not want to go near Washington, D.C.?
1: You know, another excellent question. There's 56 field offices around the country. They all have intelligence analysts assigned to them so it's salt lake city uh, I, my last assignment was in seattle i had a great assignment in houston i was at, or in uh, honolulu uh, hawaii i was in seven different field offices and nail how that capability there are other intelligence community um off, or agencies that also have offices that are outside of the beltway so to speak uh, and i did four tours in washington dc so i very much understand his reluctance to want to go to you know, to that place. But, um, yeah, th- there are opportunities all over the country, whether it's with the FBI or uh, some of the other intelligence
0: community agencies. They all have offices in, around the country. Mm. Thanks for those questions, Ben, and uh, you can get your question or comment in as well. Uh, we have Frank Montoya, Jr. He's a retired FBI special agent. Uh, for a couple of years he was uh, head of... Uh, National counterintelligence for the United States. He's been involved in, in a lot of things. It's been He's been commenting on the Russian investigation, uh, Russian meddling in the elections, those related topics, which, of course, are very hot topics. And uh, we'd love to hear your perspective. Upraccess at gmail.com, access at gmail.com. Or you can call us to 800-826-1495. Before I jump into the Russian investigation, those uh, topics. So a case like the Hansen investigation uh, uh, is... is that more john lecarre or or more prosaic or what uh, a little bit of both i mean
1: there's those moments of excitement and some of them are in foreign places i uh, my mentor for instance who played a, a huge role in that case you know, a lot of time spent overseas uh, developing sources to that you know that were necessary to help us make that case, so to speak, um, you know, in support of that activity. Uh, There was another case similar to that uh, involving the Russians, of course, or incidentally, I guess, where, you know, I I had that opportunity to participate in activities here and abroad that, you know, working with our, our foreign partners, uh, to develop the information necessary to make the case so but at the same time when you're on a surveillance in the middle of the night it can be long hours of just fighting to stay awake in, in the process of collecting the information that you need to make the case so to speak to a uh, uh, get get the conviction to make the prosecution however you want to put that uh, it uh, so yeah a little bit of both and uh, exciting and a lot of boredom in between mm-hmm. uh, there's a case in uh, Utah. Um, yes, there is. A, a
0: Syracuse man's defendant in a, yeah. in a case. He gives the broad outlines of that uh, case. Uh,
1: so, and, you know, I've been out for a while, so I'm, I'm like you, I'm finding out a lot of this from the media, from the complaint that was filed, but it, it follows uh, kind of the standard process for, for these kinds of cases where an allegation is made, uh, somebody gets information that an individual wants to betray our country, you know, to do something to undermine our national security and so the investigative process is initiated we we start looking at the individual we we start to you know to try to develop information that either proves or disproves the allegations uh, you use a lot of investigative techniques it's everything i mean i used to tell people all the time that you know my most potent weapon wasn't my the 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 glock 40 that i carried it was or 23 that's actually the model number but my pencil and and, and pad notepad uh, because you're out there talking to a lot of people about you know the the alleged crime uh, but there's also the use of uh, national security investigative tools as well um, some people may be familiar with what we call nsls or national security letters because they've been in the news a lot lately or fisa which has also been in the news a lot lately uh, an interesting side point if i may on that you know, we don't look at these cases from a political perspective i you know uh, most of the people that I worked with, I, I still don't know what their political affiliations were. We look at the cases on their merits. If, if the allegation is, is reasonable enough for us or you know, it, it raises to a level that our suspicions are raised or, or that, we, that we feel like it needs to be investigated, we investigate it. And, and it, it's not driven by any other uh, motivator other than the fact that the person may have committed crime or tried to undermine our national security or poses a threat to it. And then you start building a a case of information uh, that can support the use of these tools uh, as you go along. You know, in terms of Pfizer, for instance, if if it's reading somebody's emails or if it's listening to their phone calls, you have to rise to a level of what is called probable cause, reason to believe that person is acting as an agent of of a foreign power in this kind of a case, you know, or committing some other kinds of crimes. And then you collect all that information. You go to a prosecutor and you say, here's, here's what I got, you know, and, and we're getting better at including the prosecutors earlier on in cases rather than later on. That, that's always the case or pretty much always the case in a criminal matter, in the national security one because of classification issues, because of authorities. That, that's always been a little bit more difficult to get the prosecutors in earlier, but we're, we're, we're getting better at that. You know, events have driven that, which is a good thing. But you sit down with the prosecutors, and then you make the decision. Yeah, we have enough to, to arrest, or no, we don't. And in this case, uh, which was has many pieces and parts to it. I mean, they made the arrest in Seattle, uh, which is my former field office. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a lot of cooperation from a lot of different field offices, a lot of coordination of that information, but ultimately getting the authority to make the arrest and then taking that person into custody. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: And I would imagine if uh, foreign governments, say the Russians, wants to turn someone, co-opt someone, it's not going to be, a you know, an email saying, will you spy for us, right? It's, Sometime, it's Well, it's, sometimes it is. Oh, is yeah, it? Okay. You know, it, I would imagine it be a little
1: more subtle, you know, but, but I don't know. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of different mm-hmm. ways. And, and what's interesting, and, and I can talk specifically about the Chinese and the Russians, or the Russians and the Chinese, is they, they take advantage of every opportunity that is provided to them. So it can be a face-to-face meet. It can be a series of, of encounters where they build a rapport. It can be uh, something as simple as a LinkedIn uh, email saying, Hey, I'm interested in, you know, you, I understand you're a former uh, intelligence official in the United States government, and I'm running a consulting firm, and I was wondering if you'd be willing to participate in a research project for me. And so it, it can be as simple as that. You, ultimately, it's about building relationships. Um, ultimately, it's about winning their confidence in such a way or a person's confidence in such a way that they are willing to betray their country. And I say that one from a counterintelligence perspective, but I also say that from a recruiter's perspective because you know we look at individuals as well to help give us insight into what plans and intentions are for, of, a, of a threat country
0: mm. I want to start at the beginning with the, with the Russian investigation. I think sometimes we lose sight of this. Uh, James Comey in these congressional, testimony says let's not lose let's not take our eyes off the ball it's and the ball being mm-hmm. russian attempts at least to influence the uh, 2016 election how 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 new was this how, how how much of a ramp up was this from previous uh, intelligence uh, operations uh, and what do you think they were trying to the, to do there they were they were trying to tip the election to mr trump they're trying to just sow discord and division in american society what what were they trying to do you know it the 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 the, the, the spy versus spy game has
1: gone on for many many decades uh, but this was taken and, and in it, and it a lot of factors involved in this i think as well you know the emergence of technology uh, in in the last 15 10 to 15 years especially social media uh, the ability you know their willingness the russians willingness and another national or foreign states or nation state adversaries and their willingness to exploit it as well but in this case the russians willingness to to exploit it on a on a scale that we just had never seen before um, I think that there was, in, in hindsight, when you look at uh, their the evolution of their tradecraft, if you look at the way that they've conducted business in the past, in hindsight, you can see that there was a, an escalation of their use of the internet and social media to to do these kinds of things. But the other part of that it, it, it was unprecedented in the sense that no one's ever targeted the united states that way before um, the united states has never targeted anyone like that before it was it was beyond the pale in terms of what they attempted to do and you make another great point too that uh, that you know this ultimately is about russian interference in our sovereignty in our democracy in our republic however you want to define that where they they made very specific and articulable uh, efforts and attempts to to do so and i think the record's pretty clear on that some of it's going to be classified but i mean if you just read the the unclassified report that came out from the dni in that regard there's it's it's clear that, that was exa- at the very least an effort in terms of you know how successful it was uh, look at the outcome of the election it, it you know i have this discussion a lot of times with friends who are trump supporters who you know say hey there's no Verifiable information that it actually did have an impact on the election, but certainly it did. It just like anybody else out there that was, you know, engaged in. Excuse me, <clears throat> engaged in 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 the campaign. They had a voice as well, and p- people responded to that voice. I think even more gravely than than the outcome of the election, or more importantly than the outcome of the election, was <clears throat> the way that it impacted the. the the issues other issues that are driving uh, the divide in this country and there is a divide whether it's on racism whether it's on uh, the first amendment and my ability to speak my mind versus your ability to speak your mind you know when it comes down to this whole discussion of who's a hater and who's not a hater i mean there is some really you know racism there's a, there, there's some vile immigration uh, discussions going on out there that i think that you know, the, part of the untold story is how the Russians have exacerbated that challenge with the nonsense that they've they've proliferated mm-hmm. over the internet.
0: And the, the, I was just going to use that word, exacerbate, because, uh, you know, these divisions are already there, um, uh, but to, to the extent that Mr. Putin, uh, you know, through his intelligence services has exacerbated, that made it worse... Um, accomplished. Right? Yes, <laughs> you, well, it, you see, see where we
1: are, and it's present participle. I mean, it's happening as we speak. And yeah. Nothing. It hasn't debated whatsoever. You know, Facebook, Google, uh, Twitter—they come out all the time with new revelations on you know, how many bots are out there. You know how the the, the messaging has been hijacked by these uh, foreign actors. Uh, you know the whole uh, issue around the uh, Internet Research Agency in Saint Petersburg and. And how they continue to uh, manipulate uh, the process, so it, it's still ongoing.
0: Yeah. Uh, so th- that that seem I, I think that seems pretty clear that at least at the minimum that was Mr. Putin's goal. You know, exacerbate the divisions, create uh, you know, so some some uh, some chaos. Um, what about actually, you know, looking ahead to the next elections? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think the Russians or any other foreign power would have uh, would would attempt would have the ability to uh, actually hijack election systems? Uh, you know, alter the outcomes of elections. It, it, terrific
1: question. You know, I, there's a lot of concerns about that. I think that there's well, there's been a lot of public reporting in terms of how much has been done to to try to um, you know ameliorate that process uh, or that potential there hasn't been a lot done part of that's because it costs money part of it is because there still is a reluctance i think to take the threat that seriously in other words how can you really uh, alter an outcome of an election uh, you know by getting into a voting booth can, i mean are you actually going to change votes i don't think it even has to go that far just the threat the possibility that those kinds of things could happen how does it undermine the public's trust in the outcome of an election you know you look at yesterday's primaries in california for instance and because of quote a simple printing error 116,000 or so people get left off the voting rolls and so they have to do provisional ballots how can you exploit something like that just part of your effort to undermine public trust i mean it's kind of like calling fire in a crowded theater that doesn't have to be a fire to start a stampede, and so and people can get hurt in that process. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, what beyond you know the technical aspects of this, which I think are important, what about that public trust and how it can be undermined by just a simple internet or Facebook campaign that that, that claims that the elections are rigged, you know, and then are supported by pronouncements and utterances coming from the highest office in the land when. When the president talks about illegal voting and it being in the millions, I mean, all that does is, is if a foreign power wants to take advantage of that concern, that fear in this country, all that does is lend credits to it.
0: Let's take a break. When we come back, more with Frank Montoya Jr. He's a retired FBI special agent and senior executive. And uh, he is in retirement now, living in Cache Valley. He's been called upon and continues to be called upon by various media outlets to comment on the Russia investigation-related topics. We're going to talk talking specifically about the Russia uh, investigation following this break. And you can get your uh, question or comment to us at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or at gmail.com. More following this break.
1: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah (laughs) Festival in Logan, Utah, with Into the Woods July 6th through August 3rd. Once upon a time, a baker and his wife search for ingredients to lift a witch's curse. Along the way, they meet Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, Rapunzel, Jack, and others. Info and tickets at utahfestival.org.
0: It's often said that you are what you eat, but it might also be true that you are what your parents and grandparents ate. Epigenetic inheritance is a field of research that examines genetic code and how it can be inherited across generations. Researchers in animal science and human nutrition at USU are examining how behavior and lifestyle choices such as smoking or a poor diet leave marks on our DNA that can potentially be passed down to our offspring. Using mouse models for their research, the scientists carefully track the diet and health of each mouse and compare it to the generations of mice that came before it. Support for Ag Matters on Utah Public Radio is
1: provided in part by our members and by the College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences at Utah State University, offering more than 70 degrees with courses available at USU campuses throughout the state and online.
0: Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. My guest for the hour is Frank Montoya Jr. He's a retired FBI special agent and senior executive. In addition to running FBI field offices in Honolulu and Seattle in the course of his career, uh, for a couple of years he served as a national counterintelligence executive. Uh, that means that he was head of national counterintelligence for the United States from 2012 to 2014. Uh, he now lives in Cache Valley. He's called upon by media outlets uh, of various places to comment on the Russian investigation and uh, related topics, and we've got him for the hour here. You can uh, get your question or comment in to Frank Montoya at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or Upraccess at gmail.com, dot at I want to jump into the Russian investigation. Um, it's having... It's having an effect, I think, on uh, you know the, the recent polls of Republicans' um, support for the FBI, for example, has gone mm-hmm. down. Yeah, um, and th- that, of course, a direct effect of uh, the president uh, with an all-out attack on the FBI and the Justice uh, de- de- Department. Um, so, I, I guess uh, first of all, what do you uh, what do you think about uh, President uh, Trump firing James Comey? By the way, you know James Comey, Robert Mueller. Uh, James Clapper personally.
1: Yeah, I do. I worked very closely with all three of those gentlemen. I it you know, I can still remember the the the, the day it occurred, how it occurred, um, the reactions of many many people within the FBI. I mean, it was a sucker punch to the gut. It, it from the very beginning to the to the end of that process, he found out when he was in a meeting in Los Angeles with one of our field offices, he found out on television. Uh, He had no idea that it was coming. And, you know, and then it happened. And it was unfortunate for not just for him, but for the entire workforce, because we were engaged in a lot of uh, activities, you know, uh, um, within the Bureau in terms of making it a, you know, it's a great organization, but striving to make it even better in terms of, uh, the way we conducted our investigations, uh, who we hired to to bring into the organization to, to conduct those investigations, uh, how we process, processed information. You know, there, there's been there was a major reform in the FBI, and Bob Mueller gets a, a ton of credit for this. You know, following 9/11, where we, we became a national intelligence organization, where we put a lot more emphasis on that capability. It was absolutely necessary if we hadn't done it. The, the FBI probably, and this is not an exaggeration, would have ceased to exist uh, as it was constituted. Uh, authorities would have take, been taken away, and new organizations would have been created, and it probably wouldn't have been in the best interest. In fact, I believe it wouldn't have been in the best interest of our, our, of our nation uh, in, in defense of our national security if that had happened. And Molly gets a lot of credit for for that transformation, but 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 what Jim did is he was able to institutionalize it. He was able to, in in the way that you know via or by his leadership style, was able to to the finish the process or was in the you know in the process of finishing that process. And uh, so it, his dismissal was more than just uh, that moment in time where he's leading an investigation of Russian interference in, in our democracy, and he gets relieved. It was about so many other things that we were working on that promised to bear fruit, that you know we're leading the organization in the right direction, you know, building on what Bob Mueller started. And all of that came to a Utter and complete halt, screeching halt, for that matter, uh, on the day that he got relieved. So yeah, it was a tough one, uh, and and it was even tougher so because of the nature of the investigation. There's been a ton of political discussion about this, and a lot of partisan partisanship that's been a, a part of that discussion. A lot of you know um, baseless. Uh, unjustified, unrighteous accusations made against individuals, against the organization, against the Department of Justice in general. And the fact of the matter is this was a case that started like any other case, whether it was a criminal one or it was a national security one, and that was on the basis of information that other people provided us, that they thought we should know because they thought that there was behavior out there, activities out there that were inimical to our national security. And it was a number of things that were going on at the time, whether it was an unreported meeting or it was something that was said that just sounded wrong or it was something that was more demonstrable that, that indicated that somebody was acting as an agent of a foreign power or doing something else that could ultimately become a violation of U.S. laws. And all of those things kind of came together and the investigation was uh, was set in motion. And that's typically how these things go. There's a piece of information here, a piece of information there. We start putting it together, and we realize we have a case. And then you conduct the investigation. And from our perspective, it was absolutely legitimate. It was absolutely reasonable. It was also uh, marked by some trepidation uh, because we weren't talking about a lieutenant colonel in the military or an FBI special agent in a field office or... A contractor who worked for CIA or a CIA case officer for the ma- that matter. We were talking about a major party candidate for president of the United States, and people that were around him, and so yeah, you, you know you have to take a little bit more care in, in those kinds of situations. But I will also say this, that when it comes to those kinds of investigations, you know, sensitive uh, investigations of people at those kinds of high levels, even under the president of the United States, that you're you're basic or your standard of proof, the, the, the things that you have to demonstrate to either an, a prosecutor or to the judge, they're going to be at a higher level than a typical case because the, the, it is such a high-profile matter. So there was concern about that, and there was plenty of discussion inside the organization at the senior levels that, especially coming on the heels of the Clinton email investigation, that we were damned if we did, damned if we didn't. At the same time, there were potential violations of the law. There were folks that may have been acting as agents of a a foreign power. And so we had to look at this stuff. We had to investigate it. We didn't make it up. It was brought to us. And and the fact is that we conducted the investigations. And to the point where we are where we are today. And, you know, the president, yes, can fire uh, the FBI director for any reason. That's what's in his prerogative. But there's also a reason why uh, the FBI director is given a 10-year Uh, term of service and that is to to try to avoid those kinds of political actions and in this case regardless of what his reasoning was when the president fires the director of the FBI who's conducting an investigation of which he the president himself has now become a subject it it raises all kinds of issues raises all kinds of concerns and I'm not talking about from a political perspective I'm talking about from an internal investigative perspective and you know the continued attacks the the smear campaigns the and it's all unfounded it's all uh there's no basis for it other than self-preservation but when those things occur the fact of the matter is it just makes the investigators scratch their head even more so it yeah it in terms of where we are now it's a it's a a major challenge because of you know who the adversary has become our subject has become an adversary Hmm. um
0: I want to talk about Bob Mueller. You know Bob Mueller, right? And the the the, the chart from the president's perspective, um, I think he would say, "I'm just trying to preserve myself," you know, mm-hmm. pres- uh, against uh, a an investigation that never should have started, an investigation that certainly, from his point of view, has mission creep. It's, it's going beyond the scope of where he feels like it should be uh, should be going. Um, and so one of the charges is partisanship, right? He refers to the president's good at branding, so the 13 Democrats in Bob Mueller's office. Um, tell me about Mueller himself and then what uh, how, how the investigation proceeded, and it specifically that charge of partisanship.
1: Yeah, you know, so Bob Mueller was the, the director of the FBI for 12 of the years that I was in the organization, so probably a great deal of the, well, I was in for 26 years, and almost half of that time was under his leadership, and, and I rose through the ranks uh, under his leadership, and, and in fact, in some instances, under his mentorship. He chose me to be his SAC in Honolulu, for instance. He chose me to uh, be the senior FBI representative to the Office of the Director of National Intelligence i absolutely appreciated his confidence in me uh, but i you know as a consequence i also got a chance to see him up close and personally in terms of how he not only ran the organization but uh, the integrity with which he ran it the the sense of honor with which he ran it and his dedication you know laser-like dedication to the rule of law not everybody liked him inside the organization because he could be very demanding especially in the aftermath of 9 11. I, I was a brand new supervisor a couple of months after 9/11 occurred and I was in a command well in the the command post at the time at FBI headquarters it was a Sunday morning and it was me and another guy and you know, there's not much going on there weren't telephone calls coming in there wasn't really a lot to do and I suggested you know it was a football sunday so let's turn on the pregame shows and and get ready for the upcoming attractions and just you know out of the blue he walks into the room there's two of us in there there's not a whole lot going on and he looks at me I I was the senior guy president he looks at me he says what are you doing and I'm like what do you mean what am I doing sir and he's like the American people expect us to protect this country and you're watching football that's not acceptable I mean that was just Bob Mueller keep the focus on the mission so we turn the television off and we Put the focus back on the mission. Uh, you know his adherence to the rule of law, his uh, his you know his determination to get to the bottom of things. Uh, they're unprecedented in, in my experience in in the federal bureaucracy. I mean, he is the right man for this job at this moment. I think that the way you see how he is conducting the investigation, putting maximum um, emphasis on protecting the integrity of the investigation, no leaks, uh, the you know the focus on on doing his job his people de- doing their job to, to determine if in fact there's been violation of the, of vi- violations of the law or not that is all manifested in how he is doing this investigation at the time and i you know he'll get to the bottom of it whatever that bottom is and i think that uh, you know the uh, the things that you've heard about him about that about that focus absolutely spot on
0: um, I, I sort and of course, the president is, uh, you know, he's calling it a witch hunt, and uh, beyond that, he is casting aspersions at the institutions, uh, yes. the FBI, you know, uh, his surrogates. I think Rudy Giuliani called him uh, FBI agents, jackbooted thugs, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is of a piece with the president's characterization. It, he, he sees he says there are at least rogue agents that are out of control, um. On the one hand, this could be seen as calling names. Who cares? Is, is, is there damage done here?
1: Yes, there is. I mean, first and foremost, I think that Trey, Gra- Trey Gowdy put it best. He said, you know, the, the president, if he's not guilty, needs to act like it. You know, so and, and, and a lot of guys in the organization think that very same thing. You know when he when he comes to the smear campaigns, that's really the frustrating part of it. I know these guys. I know Bob Mueller. I know Jim Comey. I mean, we're not best friends, but I, I worked closely with them for a lot of years. I know Jim Clapper uh, uh, very well. I you know I know Pete Strzok. Pete, you know Pete Strzok was one of those guys that, you know I he, he wasn't somebody who worked directly for me, but he was somebody who had, you know with who worked directly for a guy that I was very close with and and you know who rose through the ranks with me. You know Pete's Pete you know he said some things that he probably shouldn't have said or if he had said them you know if he had done them you know on his own telephone as opposed to a, a government phone we'd never be having this, uh, discussions about Pete truck. He, he, he wasn't biased he just holds opinions about politicians in general it, it's easy to get cynical in Washington DC by the way when you are an investigator of the folks that are you know saying these things and, and doing these things that that have no basis in fact but the, the, that's really the big challenge there, is that a lot of these attacks, they're not just on Bob Mulder, they're not just on Jim Comey, they're on the organization, and more particularly, the people that work in the organization. You know, great men and women who have sworn an oath to protect and defend this country, and then get dragged in the mud by a guy who's just trying to protect himself, You know, that's only interested in self-preservation. If Donald Trump, you know really was interested in the welfare and well-being of this country he'd let the investigation run its course he wouldn't he wouldn't be acting and behaving the way he does and in fact I would also add this the way that he's acting you know the tweets the outright uh, lies in terms of the accusations that he's making all that is doing is creating more potential evidence in an obstruction of justice case and you know whereas
0: if he hadn't said a word
1: we might not be having this discussion
0: right mm. now. We'll talk about that in uh, obstruction of justice. And, of course, the president would say, you know, this is all, was all supposed to be about this, in his view, non-existent collusion, right? But mm-hmm. uh, well, Now we're talking about obstruction of justice. His lawyers are putting forth the, the theory that uh, the president cannot obstruct justice because he's in charge of everything in the executive branch. Um, but uh, speaking specifically about obstruction of justice, so if Bob Mueller were to go for that, one piece of this that's hard to get at, right, is intent, right? That's what he— that's what he has to get to?
1: Yeah, he's got to figure out what you know what the state of mind was. and But there's different ways of doing that, and totality of circumstances plays into this. And what that means is how much information is out there that, that indicates that, whether it's from other witnesses, uh, whether it's from the individual himself. And, you know, yeah, there's been a lot of talk re- recently about the the interview with the president and whether it will be voluntar- voluntary or will it have to be compelled. or not compelled, but subpoenaed. You know, uh, an act of subpoena, and and the, this, the 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 part of the point there, and you know, it, the president's defenders have been saying, well, you, you know, you, it's not illegal to lie to the media, but out of his own mouth and from his own fingers are statements coming from the president that can be construed as part of you know obstruction and part of what he's thinking about when it comes to obstruction, and so we're we're kind of treading in some interesting areas there. The you know, unproven, untried case law. There's, I mean, there's just not a lot of it. The, the idea that you, a president can't obstruct justice, I think that's ridiculous. So you, you know, ask Bill Clinton about that, you know, and what happened to him in 1999 when when he, there were articles of impeachment drafted against him, and it was on the basis of obstruction of justice. You know, you talk to Richard Nixon about, the, well, you can't anymore because he's, you know, passed away, but, you know, look at the history books in that regard. Obstruction of justice were were. Always parts of that discussion. The question is not necessarily can he obstruct justice, but can he be indicted? And I don't know that the, you know there are Department of Justice findings in that regard that perhaps a president cannot. And you know. I think Bob Mueller is, is taking a hard look at that, but in the end, it, he may decide that this the only way to take action is via—or uh, at least recommend action—is via impeachment. So we'll see how that ends up. But the fact of the matter is, there are indicators that it is occurring, and it's not just obstruction of justice, it's abuse of power. Uh, whether or not it can be proven, that remains to be seen, and I think that that's why the investigation continues the way it does. That you know there hasn't been a conclusion thus far. That it you know that, that uh, you know they're looking at other you know, aspects of obstruction of justice. It's not just about the firing of Jim Comey, but it's also about you know how uh, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions is being treated and and discussions involving him and the President and discussions with other high-ranking government officials you know, who may have been asked to. Interfere in the investigation one way or the other. So I think all of that is part and parcel of the, the process right now.
0: Um, uh, I was just going to bring up the, the you know there's the criminal aspect of this and there's the political aspect and uh, my understanding is is that r- really the the only remedy is if you if you view Mr. Trump's actions as you know egregious, uh, the only real remedy is political right impeachment. Um, I mean, if he shot Jim Comey, then maybe not. But. <laughs> right? An example that he brought up, right? exactly. Um, but uh, and so, it, you, if you view it through the, 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 that lens, then uh, Mr. Trump is 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 uh, doing a, a good practical job. You know, muddy the waters, uh, uh, fire up your base. Uh, you know, keep keep your keep your allies close, especially in the Senate. It, it's it's a defense. You know. Um, um,
1: strategy no no question about it you know fight this thing in the court of public opinion and, and that may be exactly how this thing turns out i the question remains and and you know again look back in history there wasn't a lot of appetite for uh, impeaching richard nixon even late into the uh, watergate investigation until the smoking guns came became available you know the the erased tapes and uh, the Uh, information that uh, he had asked the CIA to interfere or obstruct the FBI's investigation of him. And so we're not at that point yet. And so who knows what will happen? Who knows what will be in the uh, special counsel's final report? Uh, It it will be set forth as, you know, like we do in many instances with a prosecutor report that lays out the facts, that lays out uh, circumstances, it, it will be up to, and then it, it depends on who gets to see it, but it will be up to whoever sees it, whether or not it gets, rec- you know, whether indictments are, are recommended or pursued or it just gets presented to Congress and then they're left to, to act on it. There are some other factors involved in this as well. It, when is the report going to be done? It, will it have an impact on the upcoming elections? Will it matter? Will, the, will Congress uh, change hands in terms of who's in power? does the dynamic change if democrats actually do hold the house and possibly even the senate does it matter if if the i mean just like in the watergate instance if the allegations or at least the charges set forth in the report are compelling enough does congress have to act it remains to be seen and until that report comes out until the special counsel concludes his investigation everything else is speculation i think that there's a lot of really interesting pieces tidbits of information that have surfaced publicly over uh, the last few months maybe even over the past year i mean to the point where there's exhaustion i know a lot of guys in in dc the media types that you know they're, they're lamenting the fact that it's it it's become a target-rich environment that there's something to report on every single day but a lot of that is just the words of other people whether it's Trump supporters or Trump Trump critics the real answers lie in the uh, results of the special counsel's investigation and until we see those it really is all a matter of of speculation
0: Let's take another break. When we come back, uh, our last segment with Frank Montoya, Jr., he's a retired uh, FBI uh, special agent, and we're talking about the Russian investigation. We're talking about elections and related <clears throat> uh, topics. Uh, Mr. Montoya is now retired, living in Cache Valley, called upon by media outlets uh, a lot to uh, comment on these uh, things. We'd love to get your question or comment uh, for Mr. Montoya to upraxcess at gmail.com, Upraccess at gmail.com. We do have an email come in. We'll get to that uh, right after the break. We'd love to get yours as well, upraxcess at gmail.com or 800-826-1495.
1: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Sunshine Terrace Foundation. Sunshine Swing, a croquet tournament and lawn party, Saturday, June 16th, 12 to 3 p.m. Garden party, food and beverages, strolling musicians, and other entertainment. The Old Crookston Homestead, 1491 East, 2300 North in North Logan.
0: Details at sunshineterrace.com. Do you ever get the Sunday night blues? You are not alone. So I think on Sunday nights... It's like a kind of tidal wave of disappointment and anticipation. The secret to better weekends and a deep dive into burnout and the culture of overwork. Next time, on to the best of our knowledge from PRX. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music, from ragtime to bop, from Havana to Logan, Utah. Tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course, all that jazz. Jazz time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access. Time. Tom Williams, we're talking with uh, retired FBI Special Agent Frank Montoya, Jr. Um, He was, um, uh, for a time, the head of uh, National Counterintelligence for the United States government. Talking about the Russia investigation and elections and uh, many of these related questions, which uh, Mr. Montoya has called upon frequently to comment on now uh, in retirement. Uh, I want to get to an email. This has come in uh, from a listener, and the headline of the email is Moral Relativism Much? Question mark. Uh, this is the question. Through, the, through then SOSHRC, the CIA financed and trained alleged, quote, moderate Islamic militants, end quote, who eventually anal raped and beheaded the, illeg- the legally installed Libyan leader, Gaddafi. Causing mass chaos in Libya even today, in the night in the 50s, the CIA overthrew the then moderate, legally installed leader of Iran in favor of a U.S. friendly dictator, which later caused the Iranian Revolution. How do you compare the above to Russia's actions in the U.S. between 2016 up to today, such as spending uh, $50,000 on uh, Facebook posts for both uh, POTUS candidates? Uh, so moral relativism. And this is an argument the president has made. You know, uh, Russia's bad. We're bad. You know, yeah. everybody's bad. Well, this question comes
1: up a lot, and I think that it's it's a reasonable question, and it's you know about how what what we do to other countries versus what they try to do to us, and. My job as a counterintelligence uh, uh, officer, specialist, uh, investigator, was to prevent that kind of thing from happening to us. Uh, yeah, we can question a lot of the, the foreign policy decisions that we've made over the years, even some of them recently. Uh, we try to learn from our mistakes. Uh, we try to seriously be the guys that wear the white hat. You know, the, it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, but th- these are also. Uh, this is also a question of apples and oranges. And from my perspective, because, while we do have uh, an, an intelligence function in, in this country, uh, or, or agencies in this country that are in, in, determined to protect us, looking outward. You know, to go out and and conduct uh, activities, invest or operations that are intended to protect national security from an offensive perspective. Mine was very much a defensive perspective. And so I, I kinda look at it I'm, I'm I'm not a conservative. I'm not a liberal. I'm kinda I think of myself as a middle over road guy, but I, I love the quote from William F. Buckley where he talks about, you know, that kind of relativism vis a vis our activities or in get or spy versus spy activities with the Russians, where he talked about, you know, the old lady in the middle of the intersection and a bus is coming and, you know, there's The difference between us and the Russians is that they're trying to push her in the way of the bus, and we're trying to pull her out of the way of the bus. And so uh, these are complicated questions. We need another couple of hours or days or maybe a semester to talk about them in a a better detail. But the fact of the matter is uh, my perspective is about protecting the country and not doing anything by any means necessary to protect it, but to do what is right to to try to maintain the moral high ground i think in another respect when you look at this investigation nothing that is happening is illegal in terms of how we're conducting it if we're doing FISAs, if we're doing issuing national security letters if we're doing subpoenas if we're bringing people before the grand jury it's all in accordance with established legal precedents in this country as far as the judicial process is concerned nobody's making things up you know there are levels upon levels upon levels of oversight. When I want to get a FISA on a Carter page for instance, there's going to be 15, 17, 25, maybe even 30 steps of oversight to authorize it before you even get to a federal district court judge who then is going to grill you on the information in your application to make sure that it didn't it meets the standard, the probable cost excuse me probable cost standard. And because of the nature of this case, probably beyond that. It's kind of reflected also in the investigation of Michael Cohen in New York. You know, the president's a personal attorney. I was involved in one case in 26 years where we searched the office of an attorney, and it was a drug cartel down in Texas. The The, the standard to get that kind of authority is way beyond probable cause. And so we're being held to these and I think they're righteous, I think that they're necessary, but they are still very high standards in order to conduct this investigation. So that's where the White Hat comes in, and that's where we try to keep it that way. And so, yeah, great question, but at the same time, a bit of an apples and oranges situation in terms of offense versus defense. Hmm.
0: And and on the White Hat, we just have a couple minutes left, Um uh, Mr. Trump has kind of uh, made that an, an emphasis, you know, in the in the opposite right. Let's not worry so much about the about the morality, of, you know, of, of uh, and uh, you know, let's let's make friends with some dictators if it's in our national interest. Uh, could that have a good side effect? For example, if if uh, Mr. Trump kind of tosses aside human rights concerns as a top emphasis, maybe easier to talk with uh, with the North Korean leader. No, I mean not
1: the the, our moral there's a moral imperative that we maintain that leadership i mean you can question our foreign policy you can be concerned about it you can be critical about it but the fact of the matter is overall the fact that we have led the world the way we have over the last 70 years has been largely a positive it's not perfect it never will be, be be perfect but when when you look at you know, how where we are today versus where we were in the mid-20th century or at the end of the, the 19th century. It's, it's a whole different kind of um, world that we live in. You know, it's... And in, in that... Generally, that peace that has... Um, Uh, accompanied it. The prosperity that has accompanied it has led to great advances in technology. It's led to great great advances advances in the eradication of many kinds of diseases. No, it's not perfect. It never, I don't think, ever will be perfect because human beings aren't. But the fact of the matter is that moral leadership has been more good Mm -hmm. than bad. And to surrender it, it, it
0: leaves the world in a vacuum. So what will happen next? just to have uh, about a minute left uh, I want to end on the, the the central question of I assume the Russians and other governments perhaps are coming after our uh, at least electoral pro- process at least the you know the, the stew in which if not directly hacking into to election systems what's the top thing do you think we can do to protect ourselves? You know,
1: I. this is where the efforts with the, so, the social media companies are so important because the, the, the bot usage, the false um, profiles, that that's going to continue. And so how do we identify who is doing this? And, you know, whether it's just simple uh, cursor pass over the, the hyperlink that says that this is coming from a, a Russia source or this is coming from a foreign source, maybe that helps. Uh, the, the, it's great to have a free and open society, but there's so much information out there. How do we sift through it? You know, something that I've noticed in my own children is the, the capability, you know, what's being taught in our schools about critical thinking, about questioning things, about, you know, looking at them and finding answers and then making a decision based on that critical thought process. I'm sure it, it exists. I'm sure, it, I'm sure it's, it's, it's happening, but at the same time, People are falling for a lot of stuff out there that they shouldn't be falling
0: for. Um, and that's, I guess that's education. And yes. It's, uh, um, it's, it's a lot of things. We don't have time to really talk about this, but I, one thing that concerns me is we, we leave the actual mechanics of voting in the hands of county governments, which are usually – and they usually put this kind of at the bottom of the list of their <laughs> things to work, yes. to, to work on. And so the actual systems um, perhaps are not as – high priorities they should be. Well,
1: I, you know, who was it? Tip O'Neill said that all politics are local. And so maybe that's where the emphasis and the focus needs to be. And so instead of really trying to harden the systems, how about funding educational processes so that people can learn how, or at least f- focus, be better prepared to to make rational decisions based on the amounts of information that are out there. It, it, it's something as simple as a civics class in high school. You know, maybe we need to keep emphasizing
0: that kind mm. of thing. We uh, are out of time. We've uh, had an hour with Frank Montoya, Jr., retired FBI special agent and senior executive. And uh, you'll see him, I'm sure, on other media outlets as we go along. He's in retirement at Cache Valley and uh, is called upon to talk about many of these topics. We're grateful you've uh, come and talked to us about that. Thank you. Thank you. appreciate it. And to keep the comments coming, Access at gmail.com. And thanks for listening today. Petrushka is a character who goes back hundreds of years, an aggressive court jester
1: who's most happy when he's hurting somebody. Coming up, a fun and scary puppet show where we don't really know who's pulling the strings. The Houston Symphony plays Petrushka by Igor Stravinsky on the next performance today from APM.
0: A service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio, heard statewide on KUSR, Logan, KUSK, Vernal, KUSL, Richfield, KUST, Moab, KCEU, Price, and KUSUFM, Logan.